This is the AAOS Career Podcast, part of the Bone Beat Orthopedic Podcast channel. This series features conversations on professional development and growth opportunities within the field of musculoskeletal healthcare. I'm your host, Austin Beeson, Chair of the AAOS Resident Assembly. Thank you all for listening in on this episode on navigating the fellowship process. We're very fortunate to be joined by Dr. Scott Steinman and Dr. Jackie Dunahoe to offer different but complementary perspectives on this topic. Dr. Steinman is an internationally known upper extremity surgeon. He serves as professor and chairman of the Department of Orthopedic Surgery for the University of Tennessee College of Medicine in Chattanooga. He is also the current chair of the Academy's Board of Specialty Societies Fellowship Committee. Dr. Dunahoe is a recent graduate of orthopedic surgery residency, currently in her arthroplasty fellowship at Mass General Hospital, and will be entering her second fellowship at Washington University in orthopedic trauma next year. She is also currently the vice chair of the AOS Resident Assembly. Thank you both for being on the AOS Career Podcast. Great to have you here. Thanks, Austin, for having us. Excited to be here. As you mentioned, I'm doing two fellowships and actually applied pre-pandemic as well as in the pandemic. So I've experienced the in-person interviews and uh, virtual interview process and have now applied to fellowship twice and successfully matched. So happy to be here and to share my experience with all of you. Thank you, Austin. It's a great opportunity to be here for this podcast. Fellowships are becoming much more important. I think it's a great idea, particularly in the virtual world, in the pandemic world, to have more information for the applicants uh, to digest. So happy to be here. Thank you. Orthopedic fellowships are one of the most important ways that residents advance professionally. I think the statistics are currently about 90 to 95% of orthopedic residents pursue a fellowship. Why do you think so many graduates pursue fellowships and what do you think the purpose of a fellowship should be? That's a great question, Austin. We've seen a steady uptick in residents pursuing fellowship. Several years ago, it was about 60 to 70%. Now, as you mentioned, we're edging over 90%. I think a couple of things play into that. One is the hours requirement in our residency programs. And I've heard from many chairs around the country and program directors that a lot of residents think they may not be getting the amount of time they need to fully credential themselves in, in orthopedics. But if you're on call every night, you miss half the cases. But I think the other trend is the fact that we are becoming more subspecialized. When I finished my shoulder fellowship many years ago, the idea of being just a shoulder and elbow surgeon seemed almost laughable. And now we've seen that totally change. The trend for subspecialization and the shortening of the orthopedic work week, so to speak. I've also heard other program directors saying we should move to a six-year program since there's not as much opportunity for residents to get a lot of cases under their belts. Very interesting. And I would agree that's been a lot of the feedback that I've gotten from residents. Jackie, as a current fellow and recent applicant through this process, why did you choose to pursue a fellowship? For me, the big reason to do a fellowship was that subspecialty training in arthroplasty a lot of practices are looking for people who have a subspecialty to offer. My classmates, even some that were looking at practices in smaller towns, those practices were really looking to bring on someone who could be general, but also bring and fill this gap of subspecialty training that they felt like their practice was overall lacking. Another driver was, I want to pursue an academic career. And I think the fellowship provides not just the subspecialized training within that subspecialty, but also the opportunity to gain mentors in the field that you're pursuing and pursue those academic aspects of a career. 
what a person decides to pursue in terms of fellowship, I think is another important question. And one thing I've been asked by younger residents is, when do you start thinking about what you want to pursue as a fellowship? When is it too early? And how do you start working through that process? Dr. Steinman, do you have any thoughts on that? I think the current process where residents apply in their fourth year is actually a good process. It's been brought up to me and others, why aren't we applying in our fifth year? It takes time to look at where you're going to be potentially moving to, to really see if that's what the field you really want to go into. I would put the brakes on making a decision too soon because you really want to have opportunity to go through as many rotations as you can. And one problem I've heard from other attendings is when they see a second-year resident and he's committed to being a spine surgeon or a hand surgeon, they turn themselves off a little bit to the other rotations and it comes up in their evaluations. I think there's a lot to be learned about all of orthopedics, the subspecialties in your training before you decide to narrow things down to one specialty. In the fourth year, I think is a fine time to make that decision. Jackie, when did you start thinking about fellowships? When did you make a decision to pursue arthroplasty and then a second fellowship in trauma? I agree with Dr. Simon. One of the benefits of fellowship applications being in your fourth year is that you do have those first three years to really go through rotations and gain experience in all the subspecialties. And it's really important, like Dr. Steinman said, that people keep an open mind to those specialties because they may not be what you expect. In medical school, you don't necessarily get that exposure to the subspecialties of orthopedic surgery and what that would look like. And so you want to make sure that you're really looking at what does practicing a subspecialty look like before you're deciding on a fellowship. I think people are always worried about deciding too late because they're worried about being a competitive applicant and not having research in that subspecialty. But I think it's always okay. Fellowships are open to someone who was really productive doing research in hand or upper extremity, but then decided that really wasn't necessarily the right fit for them and they wanted to do spine. You can always discuss that. What they see in your application is that you were actually really productive and able to do those things it's okay if your interests change. And the other thing I always tell junior residents that ask me the same question is you can really learn important skills from all of your rotations, even once you've decided to be subspecialized in something. A lot of the techniques, operative skills, and things that you learn in the operating room on those subspecialty rotations are going to be applicable to your subspecialty. Just have to find what that area might be. Are there things that a resident can do during rotations? to get a better sense of whether this is something that they're going to be fulfilled doing day in, day out over the remainder of their career. Dr. Steinman, any thoughts on that? When you were in the process of deciding where you would take your practice focus, how are you making those decisions? It's a good question and a tough question because I think back to when I was a resident and the current residents that, that I've been working with, going back to Jackie's comment and my comment about keeping an open mind, I've seen residents decide they want to go into whatever may be, spine or hand. When they're on a research rotation or easy rotation, we'll run back to the hand clinic or to help finish up cases. And I think that's fine, but I think they should keep an open mind. So I've also heard about residents when they're on vacation, going somewhere else and working at another program or just visiting and watching another program. I think you really need to just enjoy your first three years. I've seen residents decide they wanted to go into spine. When I talked to them as a first year, and gosh, by the third year, they want to be a hand surgeon. 
I don't see an easy process other than just, as Jackie said, just enjoy each rotation as it comes along and try and be best at that specialty because each specialty can add and make you a better surgeon. There's things to learn from, from each area. I think those are really good tips. So moving forward, you've decided that you want to pursue a fellowship. You know what subspecialty. Jackie, you're closest to this. Can you talk us briefly through the timing of the application process and some of the logistics from a 30,000 foot view? Yeah, there's a general match timeline. It's all through the SF match for all the subspecialties except for hand, which is run through the American Hand uh, Society. What you can do is you can look at their general timeline for all fellowships, but that's not necessarily specific to application deadlines for each fellowship. Each fellowship has slightly different application deadlines. Trauma has some very detailed on their OTA website about this is the universal deadline for all applications. And I think we're seeing more and more of that in the fellowships saying this is when all our applications are due. Once you've decided, you're going to start looking at programs, talking to mentors, deciding on what programs you're interested in. And then that's where I would go and look at what those programs deadlines are. And then you've got to fill out your SF match application, which consists of a personal statement and your CV, and then uh, letters of recommendation. And you want to have all of that uploaded to the SF match prior to the application deadlines. And then once your SF match application is submitted, interviews kind of roll in just depending on the program's timeline. A lot of the programs do publish when their interview dates are. I found that programs are pretty responsive through the SF match website offering interview dates. It definitely did not seem like our residency match where you had to respond immediately or lose out on an opportunity for an interview. It was much more flexible and programs really worked with you. For example, when I was interviewing for trauma, it was during the pandemic. I was on the West Coast and interviewing at a program on the East Coast. I wanted my interview to be later in the day in the East Coast so that I didn't have to get up at three in the morning for my interview and also just sometimes working around clinical duties that come up if they do come up. But interviews seem to be late November, December, but I'd say majority of programs are interviewing in the early winter, January, February, March. The whole hand application cycle is actually a little bit delayed. So application deadlines are a little bit later. Interviews tend to be later and they have a different match day, whereas all the other programs are through the SF match and match in March. So it's fair to say that most residents should start working on compiling materials and at least talking with mentors as a third year resident. And then fourth year is when everything in terms of the application finalization is happening and it's going out and that's when interviews are happening. Yeah. So my residency program start July 1 is when we became fourth year resident. Most of my classmates, we try to aim for kind of an October 1st, October 15th deadline. That seemed to be before most of the programs were putting their deadlines. So really spent the summer, the very first part of fourth year, we tried to rotate on the subspecialty that we were going to apply into to get that opportunity to work with those mentors again prior to submitting our applications. August, September, really gathering those letters of recommendation from people and working on the application. You brought up virtual interviews and maybe Dr. Steinman, this is a question for you. What kind of feedback have you gotten over the past year on some of the changes that the pandemic has necessitated in the application process, one being virtual interviews. And do you think any of those changes have been so positive to keep permanently? That's a great question, Austin. Uh, we had a fellowship committee meeting a couple of weeks ago due to the Delta variant. We thought we'd be over with virtual 
interviews, but because of spikes and also a lot of academic programs won't allow their residents to travel for interviews and other academic programs won't allow someone in the building who doesn't work there. So it's an unlevel playing field. So we decided a couple of weeks ago that we would encourage, strongly encourage virtual interview process. Last year, all of the interviews, as Jackie said, were virtual. This year, I think the end result will be 90% will be virtual. If we want to do in-person, we mandated that you have to also offer virtual for people that have health concerns or for whatever reason can't travel, they're in the military and such, and which is actually more work for a program than to have an in-person day and then also have a virtual day. So I think most programs are going to have a virtual option. I would say the virtual came off last year perfectly. We did a post-fellowship survey, and about a third of the residents uh, said, keep doing virtual. Uh, and a third said, no, I want in-person, and people were somewhere in between. But the residents really loved the virtual option in the sense that it did not cost as much. Typically, residents would spend five to 10 grand on the interview process on a normal year. And this year, of course, it was essentially free other than uh, having to free yourself up from clinical duties. The programs tended to prefer the in-person process. I prefer it too. Nothing beats that. But uh, it's obviously more work for a resident to fly somewhere and be there for dinner the night before or lunch during, during the day. So all in all, I think uh, it's going to be another virtual year. And as Jackie mentioned, uh, trauma starts early in the fall and the other specialties are progressively throughout the year. We like the idea of not all specialties at the same time but they're spread over a six-month period, so residents aren't away from their home programs as much. And just very briefly about the history of this, Brian Wolf, who uh, was before me as fellowship committee chair, really worked through a lot of important issues. A hand, the reason hand is not an SF match is for decades, they've had their own organized match program, very similar to SF match. So they were ahead of the game, actually. But because they're with plastics and general surgery, they just can't pivot and change. And why should they? Because they've been doing an organized process for decades. But before, 15, 20 years ago, there was no process. It was the Wild West. And you and I could start a shoulder elbow fellowship tomorrow just by saying we have one or a sports fellowship or a hip and knee fellowship. But now we're starting the accreditation process. And just getting to the single application form was a lot of lift. But I think across the board, I think all the subspecialties really recognize it's really stopped a lot of the backroom deals and such. And along with that, we also adopted a code of conduct, both for the applicants and also the programs, particularly after the interview date of not having any contact between the applicant and the program, other than talking to the coordinator about housekeeping details and such of when to show up. And so it's really been a big change and a slow change over the past 15 years. The idea is to benefit the applicant and make sure it's a safe process and a sound process for them. We have definitely come a long way from the Wild West of fellowship applications. In terms of the new norm, the virtual experience of fellowship application, Jackie, one thing I'd be interested to hear from you is how do applicants learn more about programs? Without the in-person visits and socials on site, how are applicants learning more about programs and getting a sense of what they want in a program and if it's a good fit for them? Trying to find the right program for you is really the challenge. There's so many good programs that offer a lot of different things depending on what you're looking for. Going into your application, you've hopefully talked to residents, fellows that you may have connections with and your mentors 
about what fellowships they know of and what ones you might be interested in based on your goals and what you're looking for. Uh, So hopefully you're narrowing who you're applying to. And then really during the interview process, the important part was connecting, getting to know the people that you'll be working with. And that wasn't really that different from in-person versus virtual. Of course, sitting across from someone is much better than through a computer, but I only got those few minutes in the interview room with those attendings that I was going to be working with for the next year. I think the key to figuring out if it's the right fellowship for you and learning more about it is really talking to the current fellows or past fellows that graduated from that program, because they can give you the insight into what it's like to be a fellow there. A lot of the fellowships offer those emails or contact information for the current fellows and just reach out to them. One crucial thing is that the fellowship matters less where you are. It's only one year. We've all spent hours in these different hospitals at our residencies And the real important portion of the interview is asking the questions to get the information you need to know to make the right decision. For arthroplasty, I was looking for a program that did a lot of revisions. And so I was asking the attendings about what their revision volume was like, but then also the current fellows, what they were seeing for revisions. And that was something that was really important to me. Dr. Steinman, is there anything else you would want to add about what applicants should look for in programs and how to find that information? I always encourage programs to make sure their website is up to date. And it's very helpful to have a video introduction to that fellowship that you can click on to see about the attendings and see a little tour of the facility. Often a lot of the cities also have a link to what's it like to live in X, Y, and Z city. And the other thing that's very helpful in the virtual interview day, if talking about virtual interviews, is to have a coffee hour, no attendings, it's just the fellows. And you can sign on to actually meet the fellows Interesting, in a non-virtual year, the things that the applicants really don't like, a couple of things is one, they really don't need or like a tour of the hospital. After a while, every hospital looks the same. They don't like interviews in the OR between cases. They don't feel like they're getting the attention that they need. They also don't like two-on-one interviews or three-on-one interviews where there's three attendings or two attendings on one applicant. They also don't like really short interviews with an attending of 10 minutes or less. The other thing they don't like is they don't like being in a green room or in a real world with the residents. Do you think they want to meet the residents? They don't want to meet the residents. They really don't. They want to meet the fellows and have lunch with the fellows or talk to the fellows. And those are things that also relate to a virtual year to uh, keep those things in mind more from the program directors, but also these are things that the applicants on surveys have said they like and don't like. That's really helpful insight. I think the idea of a coffee hour is something I would be interested in as an applicant and talking with fellows on a pretty casual basis. Yeah, hopefully that will become more widespread. Another thing funny, Austin, that I heard on the surveys is the, the applicants don't like meeting emeritus faculty. I'm like, wow, you know, these are some of the famous names and whatever specialty are, but the truth is you're not going to work with these people. It's nice to know them, but I was a little surprised at that, but that's, that's what they're uh, asking for. How do you make a successful transition from resident to fellow? And Jackie, what has been your experience so far? How have you tried to do that? I think it can be a tough transition depending on what your residency was like to what your fellowship program is like. I mean, I moved across the country, but I think really focusing on what you're here for, you're here for a year to learn from these people. So focusing on the ways that you can spend your time to do that and get the most out of the fellowship. And you want to start doing that right away. If you're wanting to work on research, you want to start working on that right away and build those connections and those relationships. And I think also 
being open to the fact that you're the fellow, you're the new person in the OR, in the clinic, the residents, the nursing staff, and all the clinic staff, they've all been there doing this every year. We as fellows come in for one year and then leave again. And they're happy to have us and love working with us. But you want to make sure that you're open-minded and ready to just step in and be the fellow. That can be a little bit of adjustment because you're used to your residency program, your hospital and how things run there. And it can be very different. So just be prepared for all of those changes and don't let that disrupt or deter you from focusing on the opportunities to learn and work with these people that you chose to work with through your fellowship. I have to imagine anyone would agree that openness and humility coming into a new place, trying to learn new things would be super helpful. That's great advice on your part. Dr. Steinman, from an attending standpoint, what do you think you would be looking for in a fellow? What are qualities that you would imagine or have seen make fellows successful? Everything that Jackie said totally is true. You're there just for a year. Your first two years of residency, as we all know, you spend a lot of time listening and watching and not doing a lot of real interactive surgery. But that time is very valuable to get a lay of the land. So I think one is very important to talk to the outgoing fellows about what the attendings like, what the PAs are like. You're expendable. You're going to be on at the end of the year. So you're a short timer. And the nurses in the OR, everybody knows that. I think you really should behave the same way you behave as a resident. Be polite to everybody and defer when you get into the OR, whoever's working in the OR with you about how things should be done. And I've had multiple complaints uh, about fellows who are acting like they're a junior attending and the nurses or or the techs in the room come to me afterwards and go, well, that that gal or that guy, whatever it might be, is a little headstrong. And so I can see how if you think you're done, you're a fellow, you're important, but you're really not. They look at you as just being a a six-year resident. Humility and willing to take direction from those that you may think are less on the food chain, I think are very important. That's a great lesson to learn to be humble and to ask all, whether in the clinic or in the OR, for advice on how to proceed. This may be surprising. Most attendings, what they want is not necessarily someone that can write 50 papers a year. What I look for is someone that I can trust to be nice to my patients, return phone calls, and to help in surgery. Someone I can trust in surgery to work with me. That's all. Even at the Mayo Clinic, I'm not looking for someone to write 60 papers. Research staff can do that. You may come in with an impressive CV, but I'm looking for, are you someone that can get along with my team? And are your surgical skills at the level that I can trust you to work with us? It's a little surprising. We're not looking for the most academic person, even in an academic program. We can make you that, but you have to have humility and a skill set to come in with. That is really helpful insight. Any advice that you may have that we didn't get to so far? One thing that I think it can get lost when you're going through the fellowship application process is what you're looking for as an applicant in a program. And it might be different than what other people are looking for in their fellowship. And remembering that when you're interviewing and then making your rank list, I think that's really helpful for finding that right fit because it really creates a framework for you thinking about programs and what questions you're going to ask in the interview. I think it's also important, really important for the applicants to remember that in the whole process of contacting a program, calling the program coordinator, talking to the secretaries, talking to my secretary, if I hear that 
one of the applicants was rude to my secretary or rude to the program coordinator or just had an attitude, believe it or not, that gets reported back to me and my other attendings on the selection committee. Be polite, be yourself, but recognize that if you have a little bit of an attitude, it will get back to us. I think it's also important to recognize that the fellows, the current fellows, I asked them, what did you think of these guys? Who stood out? It's also important for the applicants to be polite to the current fellows. But it's really important to get the information, as Jackie was saying, talk to the current fellows. Most of the websites, I really encourage the websites to be up to date, but they're really not. The current fellows is really where to get the information. But the long and short of it is be polite to everybody in the whole process, because if you're not, it can come back to bite you. That's a perfect summary of the fellowship process and how to approach it. Dr. Steinman, is there anywhere residents or applicants can go to get more information on this that we didn't cover? Once you get down to the specialty that you're interested in on all the different subspecialty websites, the programs are on their websites. They're not always up to date, but that's where you can get the most current information. The other thing that we've done, particularly the past two years, is encourage programs to let everybody know December 1st or thereabouts, depending on the subspecialty, a date where they give an interview or tell you you don't have an interview because the problem's been that they invite their top 15 candidates for interviews and just don't bother telling the others. And then when they run through those first 15 and they need more, then they email them later in the process and they've already committed to other places and then they end up canceling other programs for interviews. So the important thing is to have a central release date where you're told you're on the wait list, you don't have an interview or you do have an interview. And also on the applicant side is once you're not going to accept that interview date or you accepted it and then you need to change, please let the programs know that you're not accepting that interview date as fast as possible because believe it or not, programs do talk. We do hear about some applicant that never showed up for an interview and that does get communicated to the programs. If people are looking for resources early in the process, the specialty societies post information about match statistics and link to program websites through their web pages. And then the AAOS, as well as the ABOS, have in the past done webinars. Every year it comes out, I think, in the early fall, and they review some of the things that we've talked about here today. Thank you both again so much. For our listeners, I would direct you to podcast at AAOS.org if you have any feedback on the episode or if there's topics in the future you'd like to hear. In the episode show notes, we will include links to these resources and other information if you're interested in learning more. Our December episode will be on financial literacy. Please look out for that. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AAOS Career Podcast, part of the Bone Beat Orthopedic Podcast channel with production and sound design by Mission Based Media. For more information on this topic and to hear other conversations on professional development, please visit aaos.org forward slash the Bone Beat career. <laughs>